RP3 is ready to step his game up and grab the mic for the latest edition of the Rap Game Podcast. Here is Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Welcome back to another episode of the Rap Game Podcast. I'm your host, Raymond Pars III, better known as RP3. And look, there's so much uncertainty, right, about college football. What's going to happen? Are these uh, conferences going to play conference-only games? Are they going to play any non-conference games? How does the Power Five conferences affect the Group of Five conferences? What about the FCS level? Are we going to be even allowed to watch games in person? So much uncertainty. But you know what helps with all that? You know what helps with the anxiety when it comes to that kind of thing? Talking with a local college and professional football legend. That'll make you feel better. And that's what we're about to do today on this episode of the Rap Game Podcast. Because I'm about to bring on someone special from Laplace, Louisiana. A star at Destrehan High School. He'd go on to be a... All-conference, All-American at USL, where he would record 243 tackles, which is just amazing, especially being a defensive back. He was part of one of the greatest moments in Raging Cajun football history, and he'd go on to be a arena league legend as well, playing 13 years in the league, earning all arena league honors three times, winning the Arena Bowl twice, and is still the career leader in tackles with more than a 1,000. It's my privilege to welcome on my bud, the one and only, Damon Mason. Damon, good morning to you, brother. How are you? RP3, I'm, I'm good, man, but I'm great. Always great after your, your intro, man. You, you're a natural. <laughs> well, if, wow. if 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 only I could turn that into in, into a, a hustle. If only I could turn that into some type of show, man. Huh? How about that? For real, for real. <laughs> I do that. That's real. <laughs> Damon, man, let's start off, brother. It's been a while since we talked to you. You know, everything's been absolutely wrecked due to uh, COVID and everything like that. So, how are you and your family and everything uh, been handling all of this and dealing with all this uh, this chronic crazy time as we deal with the pandemic? Well, RP3, we, we are better now. I, I can't lie, man. In, in the beginning stages, it was like you say, it was the uncertainty, you know. And and I took, you know, a lot of, a lot of workplaces were giving people like fourteen days off, and so I took that initially after the first day I went back to work. Then one person came down with the whole of this, you know. I, I, I got to, I don't know. I, I don't feel safe. So 14 days of being home and then doing research and getting as much information as I could and started, you know, understanding a lot better than not having no idea. So I started doing things in my household to, besides my immune and, and being healthy, which I always took pride in that, you know, making sure my family was taking care of my wife and my kids and, you know, and so, and I, like I said, I relate to like football, you know, started doing the research myself. Not just listening to what my coach tell me, but doing some extra work, doing some extra research, and understanding what's taking place, so I can have a better idea to prepare for a game. And that's the way I look at everything in life. You know, I ain't gonna just take what somebody else tell me. Let me do my own research for myself, so now I can justify what I do or what I don't do. As I told you, even on the job, you tell me one thing, but I'm gonna do as much as I can do. I'm not gonna put all my trust and faith in you. That's for God only. <laughs> I hear you, brother. I hear you, brother. So what you've been doing just to be safe out there and, and, and during this time, man, I know for us uh, here in Louisiana, you know, uh, the governor uh, mandated uh, wearing a mask, and I, I'd already been wearing one, and, and it had nothing to do for, uh, you know, for whatever reason it is. I know a lot of people have made things kind of political when it comes to that. For me, right. look, I, I got family members that have weakened immune systems, right? So Correct. I got, Correct. you know, I got family members that are dealing with some serious health issues. So if I want to be around them and I want to be able to take care of them and do things for them, then I got to do what I can on my end to be able to do that and to be there for them. So that, you know, it was an easy decision for me from Jump Street to wear a mask in public and do everything like that So and social distance. So what are some of the stuff that you've been doing kind of embracing uh, where you're at, man? Well, I was wearing a mask from day one. And like you say, regardless of what they said or not, Wearing it, and I'm still wearing it. Right now, I'm still wearing it, even when I'm talking. You know, but one of the one of the things I, I picked up on the most was on social media was um, 
taking some citrus peeling oranges and and uh, and lemon peelings and boiling them in salt water. Uh, 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 yeah, salt water is in, inhaling the, the steam and let the steam get into my esophagus, you know, to clear my uh, uh, my, my nasal passages. Once you find, once I find out how this COVID thing gets into behind your 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 your, 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 in your nose somewhere and for somewhere cool and how you can drip down to your throat and 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 clog up your lungs and stuff. So I started doing that. Then I've got to take vitamin C. Uh, of course, exercising, uh, drinking high tea. You know, I drink uh, a glass of cold water every morning, which that's that's for something different you know, as far as health-wise. But just really just trying to build up my immune system and keeping myself as healthy as I can, just being consistent with it. You know, not a lot of different things, but just being consistent. Of course, taking vitamin C, as I already said. And, um, I forgot it's emergency. There it is, emergency. And drinking that as well. So just being consistent with it. I hear you, brother. I hear you. It sounds like... Sounds like the good game plan. All right, Dame, before we start getting to looking back at your career and, and some of the great moments and everything like that, which I love doing with you, let's talk a little bit about kind of your insight as a former college star, as a guy who played professional football for 13 years. Football's been your life. You've been a coach as well on multiple levels. With everything going on right now, man, we're here at the end of July, brother. What do you think is going to happen and what do you think should happen with let's say college football and professional football in the fall. Wow, that's that, that that's a tough one. I think and I I don't know how to answer it as far as in, in order, but the first thing I'm talking about here at RP3 is this uh, because I've played for so long, my first thought is it's just it's the safety of the kids. Safety of the kids of I'm I'm mean to high school as well, high school, collegiate and professional. You know, uh but I think as far as professional football, you see what's going on in the NBA. So the professional football league is definitely going to try to do something based on the success, hopefully not no failure, of what's taking place in the NBA. You know, college is going to try to do the same thing. In high school, I heard high school as far as they're trying to consider playing in the spring, which we're going to see about that, which is kind of hard to do because now, you know, a lot of kids, the, the kids are not going to school. I know out here in the state of Georgia, my kids are going to be virtual. You know, so it's, 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 it's up in the air. Um, Same here for me, Dame. My daughter, who's going to be in the first grade here in St. Landry Parish, where I live, uh, the first nine weeks is going to be all online. Right. And that's, and that's, and that's and, and I'll say, as much as I love football, as much of my entire background, as you put it, my, my first part of right now is the health of all these individuals at every level. I mean, one year. What's one year? I mean, I love football, but guess what? I'd rather you be here to play the game instead of you take a chance and not be here because you can't come back from it. This ain't no, this ain't no video game. This ain't no, 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 no movie. It's not no cartoon. You know, our life is serious. You know, is the game that serious? Is it that important? You know, is it that important to get to force the issue? You know, I'm not in a position to make that call. You know, if you do it, of course you gotta be safe. But you really need to consider: is it really that important? Based on what's happening now, you know, you try to, you know, people in the high places try to open up the government and look, I mean, well, open up the economy, so to speak, open, you know, open up the cities and states and look what's going on. This ain't gonna spike higher than it was before. I mean, come on, you gotta be smart somewhere. <laughs> you're not, Damon, you're not wrong, brother. You're not wrong. You're not wrong at all. All right, man. So let, let's go back a little bit and I'll, I want to talk about your career because it has a, a great trajectory and it's a great story, especially your time at USL where you began there and then you left to go to the JUCO route and then you came back and kind of finished what you started and did so in grand fashion. Uh, I want to mm -hmm. ask you about a guy that was there. He has his number retired as well. Orlando Thomas. What was some of your favorite memories about the late, great Orlando Thomas? I tell you one that I've shared with few people, even shared on social media once or twice. And I remember my freshman year, I want to say I was 19, how old I am? <laughs> 1992 as a freshman, registered freshman. And I remember Orlando asking me to take him to the grocery store. I, I think at some point in time I had, I had my parents' car. And he asked me to take him to the grocery store, and he told me something. You know, he, he's the one who started calling me by my last name, Mason. But before it was Mason, it was Lil Mason. Everything was Lil Mason, Lil Mason. So he said, Lil Mason, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play in the NFL. I'm going to do this. 
I'm going to do it. Everything he did, he told us he was going to do it. He would go to the club. We would go out to the club. He'd be wearing his number 42 jersey to the club sometimes. But the, but the thing that stood out to the most that I remember to this day, he told me, he said, Mason, I don't expect to live past a certain age because his, his, his father had passed away at a certain age. His grandfather had passed away of a certain age. And so when he passed away at a young age, I let that boy say that. You know, and I mean, everything he said he was going to do, he did it, even up until his death, you know. So that I never forgot that because everything else he did, man, you know, I'm big on giving credit where credit is due. I tell people right now, yes, I was blessed with talent. I'm not surprised at what I did, but as I was taught when I got there, you know, be slow to speak, quick to watch, listen, and learn. I preach that. I even do that at work. I tell people, I'm, I might be quiet, but slow to speak quick to watch, listen, and learn. So as a freshman in college, I watched what guys like Orlando Thomas did and a whole bunch of other seniors. I watched what they did wrong. <laughs> I watched what they did well. And it was actually during that time when I went to the, uh, when I lost my scholarship by academic hardship, when USL was the turnaround team of the nation that year. I think they went 9-3. and three. All right, so I was not there. I was in Juco, so I came back. And when he got drafted, my exact words was this. I said two things. If this is what he did and he got drafted, I'm going to do exactly what he did. And what else did I say? Oh, and before I leave here, my name is going to be right next to his on the wall. So all I did was watch what he did well and copied it. And so he said I had like 234 tackles, something like that. <laughs> I tell people what Orlando Thomas did in four years, I did in two. So imagine if, if I was given an opportunity to play three or even four years. Ain't no telling how my records would have been or where I would be. So the boy, the man did a lot for me. He's my big brother, man. I love him. I miss him. And, you know, but he was, he was, he was our leader. He was our leader on the field as well as off the field. Let me ask you this, Dame, not to put you on the spot because we haven't really talked about this, but, you know, you guys had some great players. A lot of guys that got their names uh, retired there from the late 80s throughout the 90s, starting with Brian Mitchell and then so Orlando mm-hmm. Thomas and Jake DeLome and Brandon Stokely, yourself, Ike Taylor. Was Orlando the best player that you ever played with in college? Wow. Uh, I know, I'm I putting you think- on the spot, bro. I'm sorry. But I just, I, I don't know. I just I just think people, uh, he, he's, he's just so revered. And, you know, I, I always like to put a, a spotlight on the defensive side of the ball. You know that. I'm a big defensive guy. Uh, we need to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, I mean, Jake and Brandon were great, and Brian Mitchell was on another level, you know, future Super Bowl champion himself. But I don't Correct. know. I talked to a lot of folks because, you know, Orlando was from Crowley, which is, you know, right down the road. Um, right. A lot of people say that he may have been the best, the, the best, the best player. It, was he the best player, well, the best guy you played with? I tell you what, let, let me answer it this way. Of course, Brandon and Jake. All right, there's, there's no question in my mind. There's no doubt, you know, that's offense. But like you say, even in the arena football, which is a, 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 a passing game, people look to give offense all the credit, but when you lose, they look at defense. So there's no, it's, it's, there was never a difference. So Brian Mitchell, I didn't play with him. I saw his highlight film. I didn't get a chance to meet him personally until I went to the Hall of Fame. And I told him, hey, man, I always want to meet you. So I'm going to exclude offense. Defense, I give you Three names. I was thinking five. I might be five. I'm definitely going to give you three. Orlando is number one. Right? I mean, he had the size. He had the speed. Now, I ain't going to lie. I'm with you. I like to be honest. My rookie year, Orlando was, I want to say, his his sophomore year. He missed a lot of tackles. He always got hurt. I guess because he was still young. And, and, you know, if you remember, USL lost the last game of that season to Cal State Fullerton, the team who had lost, who, who, who ended their football program. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, so I was like, I remember being at the top of the stadium, like, how the hell are we going to, I can't do this, man. How do you lose to a, you lose to a team who canceled their football program? You know, that's how bad the kids were at one time, winning two or three games per year. And then the next year they went 9-3, and three, as I said, with the turnaround team. So to see his transition from his sophomore year to his junior and senior year, he was by far, because he had the size, he had the speed, he did it all. All right, the next one at the top of my list is Britt Jackson. That's before mm. Ike Taylor. That's before uh, the other guy who went to uh, the Bears. What his name is? Tillman? Oh, Peanut Tillman. I don't care what they say. See, Britt Jackson and myself, we didn't have the size. 
We call him the leech. You know what a leech is? A leech suck up, suck up on you. You don't, <laughs> you, don't beat, you don't beat him deep. You don't beat him that, you know what I'm saying? He was a quarterback. And what do people say about quarterbacks? Quarterbacks are your best what? Athletes. Britt Jackson was an awesome quarterback from Hammond High School. I played against him. He was my roommate. The boy could play. And he was, like myself, he was just lacking the size. So, and the next would probably be between, you got Jeff Mitchell, you got uh, Paul Cabell, who was a beast for us my senior year, and I see Jeff Mitchell, Paul Cabell, and I'll see Clifton Sylvester. You know, our D-line. There you go. There you go. See, I knew. See, I see. I knew. I, I knew you were going to deliver it. I gave you an easy question. You went with multiple layers there, my man. You <laughs> should, man. I was. You know what? A lot of people didn't realize. Matter of fact, this was this was our mindset before people look at the ULL region kids the way it is right now and how how it's been transitioned to become one of the top schools, not only in the state of Louisiana but in the country. But at one point in time, when we was ULL region kids, you know when. When you say you play a Florida or a Texas A&M or a Texas Tech, and you know those, you know we was considered the sacrificial lamb. So our goal was, you know what? We don't care what offense gonna do. On defense, we gonna ball out. We might win, we might lose. We don't care, but we gonna play hard. We gonna play hard. You know, at one time the model used to be we don't wanna get embarrassed. But again, when we played A&M, we was like, damn that, damn embarrassed. We wanna win. That was our mindset on defense. When we played against Florida, you know, so. You know, at times goes on, people forget, man. But at one point in time, it was, you know, it was just like USL got who they got, the best who they can get left over in Louisiana, who didn't go to LSU or even the Tulane or Southern Miss or Texas and, you know, so on and so forth. You know, and you just made do with the talent you had and you pray to God that you win a big-time game. But you definitely expect, you know, and that's why we look independent. We look at the program now, you know. So, and I say that because I, I, I refresh myself looking at, some of the old Nelson Stokely uh, press conferences and his his talk show, and this is, and what we seen today the education it was a dream that he had for the program many years ago, you know. So I don't I don't I don't take that stuff lightly. I didn't do it by myself. But I don't take it lightly to know that someone had a vision, and to for me to see how it is right now, man, I'm pleased to know that I was a part of that. So that's that was our mindset. That's how that's how the team was. You arrive at then USL. You're coming out of Destrehan. You come to the Raging Cajuns. Uh, walk me back through, man, for the people that may not know this story. Why did you ultimately decide to play for the Raging Cajuns? <laughs> it was the only school that offered me a scholarship. That's what I wanted <laughs> to hear. There it is. I went it. You know, um, my and I tell you just a quick story. My first two letters as a junior, was from Nebraska and Oklahoma. And I remember walking the halls of Destrehan, and my mouth was like, oh, my God, wow. You know, but I remember how my high school coaches were and how any good high school coach is. They want their student players, their student athletes to focus on nothing but, you know, school work and, and the season at hand. So I was given those directions by Tim Rebo, former head, former coach at UL, to, uh, hey, he said, keep your uh, – don't show no expression, stay focused, and blah, 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 don't worry about it. And I said that my junior year. So by the time my senior year came around, they moved me from defensive back to fullback in the wing T system. I had a whole shoebox full of letters, like just about every kid in America has, good kids. And I mean, from Texas A&M to Southern Mississippi and so on. And I said Southern Mississippi because that was the last school uh, that I wanted to go to. And at the stroke of midnight, well, before the stroke of midnight, I was on the phone with the the secondary coach from Southern Mississippi who had just transferred from Tulane. Tulane had offered me a partial scholarship, and he left. And, of course, I was not going to take a partial scholarship. And so he left, went to Southern Mississippi. He called me. He said, Dan, man, I said, he said, I cannot lie. The head coach hasn't even watched your film yet. And he said, if I was you, I would take the uh, scholarship with, with USL because uh, I don't want you to miss out waiting on a scholarship for us. So wow. I said that, and I called Coach Bruford Jordan who's my recruiter, and told him that I was going to take the scholarship. That's exactly how it went. I, I want, of course, I wanted to go to LSU. That was always a dream of mine, but LSU backed off, and once they backed off, I just left it like it was. <laughs> you arrive, and, you know, you're getting in, in with the program, and you're getting, you know, uh, accustomed, uh, adjusting to life as a student athlete. And I know you've been very honest about 
your struggles with that, and in particular your grades. What was it during those first uh, those first two you know couple years there with USL that kind of made you change your mind? You know, obviously you had to go the JUCO route, and you decided to come right. back to the Raging Cajuns, and it was important for you to finish what you started. But was Correct. it just was Correct. it just you being you know 17, 18 years old and just you know enjoying college life, or just not you know having the discipline at that time to handle grades and playing football? What was it that that had you struggle with the academics early on, Damon? I want to say it was honestly it was more of a spiritual thing, and I got that from my mother because I had no problem with football. Uh, coming there is you know that was not that was not even uh, a concern of mine, and that's how I mean, announced myself quickly. Football was just something that was in me. Uh, I went to every class, I studied, even if I went out to a party or whatnot. I came back and I studied. Sometimes I was up all night doing term papers. And everybody would ask me, man, how you do your test? Man, I think I passed. I studied. <laughs> you can't get your grades F. <laughs> like, wow. You know, so, and I just fast forward the story and say this here. When I, when I got my final grades, you know, I, I flunked out that first semester. And the second semester, I was on probation, and I needed a 2.0. I finished the, I finished the spring semester with a 1.9. Like, oh, man, one point. And so when I got my grades, I remember looking at my mom, and, you know, of course, like most kids, unlike the kids today, back in our days, I had terror in my heart. Lord, what my parents going to do? You know, and I just I remember my mama telling me, she said, you know what? How can you expect the results that you want by doing what everybody else is doing? That's the first thing. The oh, mama, was, mama always knows best, right. brother. Correct. And then the second thing she told me was, she said, I remember when you first went to school, all you kept doing was complaining about they're not doing this, they're not doing that, that music. I should have did this, I should have went here, I could have went there. And not one time did you ever take the time to say, Lord, thank you for giving me a scholarship. When out of all the senior class and all your friends, only two kids from Bethlehem had a scholarship, and you was one of them. You never thank God for that. Sometimes you don't appreciate what you have until God take it away from you. You know what? So that's 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 the speech that she gave me. And right at, and I swear, I can't remember the exact time, but right after she told me what she told me, the phone rang, and it was uh, Coach Sheridan. I remember, they never forget it. It was Coach Sheridan, one of the assistant coaches. And it was a short conversation here. She said, Damon, how would you like to go to a junior college while you get your grades fixed? And all I heard was football. <laughs> I said, if I could play football, I don't care. And they sent me to Mississippi. So me and my dad drove to Mississippi. I had to pay for summer school, uh, which I did. And I had a 2.5 during the summer. Then I realized, you know, I thought I was going to be on scholarship. Then during the fall, I, I, found, I realized in the midst of it that I was competing for a scholarship. So you talk about panicking, you know. So I did what I did because unlike most of the guys in junior college, I already had one year of experience in the university. So they put me on scholarship. I had a 3.0 during the fall. And when I came back, my mindset just changed. I just realized, you know what? It's not about the females. It's not about the parties. All that's going to come. I got to take care of my responsibilities. Because I, I had a girlfriend my freshman year, you know, just out of high school and, you know, didn't really really learn how to prioritize my time, you know, dropping the class. I didn't know what dropping the class was. You know, that's unfortunate, you know, that people drop classes. But, you know, that, that was a help. Instead of keeping all those Fs on your transcripts. And then in, in RP3, check this out. I end up getting put on academic hardship again, but I pass. And I realized, and so so that's when I started realizing what was going on. Even though I had a good grade point average, I still had Fs on my transcripts. Yep. So I went back, so I went to summer school at UL at that time and took the Fs off my transcripts. And I had a 2.9. I was like, oh my God, I'm one point from the Dean's list. Here you go from losing your scholarship. Had to go through all those adversities and come back, and you one point from a dean list. Now that was the, that was like during my junior year. But when I came back, I was only gone for seven months. I came back, and you know that's when uh, Coach Tim Rebo had left Bethlehem as the head coach. Winter Nichols, uh, I was a sophomore, and they had other guys who had flunked off the team that year, and they changed my position. You remember that story? They changed my position from cornerback to strong safety. The first play they gave me in practice was a blitz. You know, even if I say that, share that story, peer pressure with my teammates, who I love to death, but there was like several things they were telling me since I got there as a freshman. You can't go to pro 
you'll never go pro. You didn't realize we had, you're at USL. Right? The next thing is, man, they're going to change your position. They're trying to mess over you. So, again, my mama telling me, you can't worry about that. But still, being young-minded, I'm frustrated. I wanted to leave USL and go play and go to Nickel State. So I called Coach Tim Rebo, and he told me, no, you're not coming here. You stay there. You made a man for yourself. You stay there. He told me that. Then my mama told me, she said, I've never heard you ever once talk about quitting. You decided you want to be a football player. So I don't care what they do. You beat them at their own game. Whatever they tell you to do, you do it to the best of your God-given ability. And it turned out that moved me from corner back to strong safety. The rest is history. And the, the thing about that, Damon, that I love when you tell that story is you had hardship. You had something that you control. You you struggled with your grades, and you had to own up to that. And then right. that gave you the determination to be able to overcome those setbacks academically. And then you also had to overcome the fact that, you know, you had a position change, and you had to overcome your own ego, right? You you had to overcome right. – you you had overcome academics and you were back on the team trying to finish what you started, but then your ego right. started getting in the way. And then thankfully, right. mama was there. Mama was there. Always it never fails, does it, Dame? When you have your mama, 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 mama mm. a, good, a, good, a good role model in, in Tim Rebo. Can't lie. Both one, and it's it's just funny how God works that way, right? He puts you in those Correct. spots, and you cut. You know, you're thinking, you know, hey, I want to go do this, and then you have these coaches that are giving you advice and stepping up and your mom stepping into your life, it's always a blessing, the people that we have right. in our lives, man. That's definitely for sure. Correct. All right, so let's talk, man. So you get situated, you make the position change, you got your grades in 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 in, in order, you're raring to go, you're ready to go. Now, tell me about your last two seasons, man, That those last two years with the Raging Cajuns. We know all about, we'll get to the A&M game because I know everyone wants to hear that because that's a great story about that game and how you guys forced the eight turnovers in that win. But tell me about the season before then. You guys felt like you kind of building something, right? Even though the, the wins and losses didn't end up being where you guys wanted them to be. Right. But you guys did have a lot of talent on that team, and you guys had guys coming back for your senior season. Walk Correct. me back through that junior year, brother. Well, I tell you what, now, keep in mind, I just got back from junior college as a sophomore, and I, I, be, I had to make a name for myself once again. Okay, either you're going to complain – or you can find a way to contribute and make a name for yourself. So if you remember, I ran back punts my, my sophomore year. I was a return specialist, punts and kickoffs and special teams. They called me Kamikaze. You know, so, so now you're trying to make a name for yourself. Oh, I've seen you play. Them. I've seen the tape. Yeah, that that, that, that seems fitting, brother. <laughs> right. And so you're trying to make a name for yourself, and now your junior year comes around, and, oh, that's, that's, a, that's a good story here. So your junior year comes around, and, you, you know, you're, you're into a start spot, so now your first game comes. You know, and it's funny because – I got started off. The first game is in Nevada, if you remember that. And I, it was away. And that was my first time on the plane. And I'm walking up the plane. I almost fell backwards. I'm like, oh, no, it's my first time ever on the plane. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, my God. So we get to Nevada, make a long story very short. And we end up losing. All right. Uh, but now we come back, I want to see the day or two after to watch film. And this really, I can say, when Damon Mason, the, the Raising Kids and the People Know, was, was, was actually born. We in film session first, after the first game. I came over the coach, and I want to say his name, give him his credit. But the, 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 it was a linebacker slash strong safety coach. Coach Darnley, they had separated the secondary with the safeties and cornerbacks stayed together, with the, the, just the cornerbacks and the safeties went with linebackers. So, anyway, so the, the linebacker coach, or the coach was position coach, was going over the film. And I was on the right side of the film, of the, on the field, on the film. And there was a play on the left side. And I had nothing to do with the play. And he just kept rewinding. One of those coaches kept, And look at Mason. Mason not hustling. Mason not, and so my mom like, but the play is over there. And he just kept rewinding it. Like, but Mason not doing this. And, and I can't, you know, because I did it in practice. So in my mind, I'm, I'm so furious, RP3. I'm so furious. And all I can remember saying is, you know what? That's going to be the last damn time you ever call my name out like that. And so from every game on, I guess I went back to my high school days. I don't care what, where the ball was, I was going to get there. You was never going to see me loafing, lagging, stopping. And that's really when, you know, as far as that really just, 
you know, when, when, when the speed of the game really changed for me, where everything became like it was in slow motion. So so that whole junior year was just about making a name for myself. You know, that was our last year in the Big West. I made all Big West first team. And, you know, and me and Keno Hill, you know, the Keno Hill, he's a senior. And me and Keno, <laughs> we used to have bets every game who's going to have more penalties. That was our, <laughs> that was our <laughs> bet. Who's going to have more penalties. And, 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 you know, and I, didn't really, I really didn't care about winning or losing. I just want to go out there and play hard. If we won, great. If we lost, we were going to celebrate anyway. That was, that's just the way it was as a raising Cajun. But now going into that senior year, it all started when Coach Thorpe called me to his office. <laughs> and I sent, I sent Brandon, I sent Brandon uh, Stokely a message uh, some month, a month ago and told him that. And Coach Stokely called me in the office. He sent me down, and the story went something like this. He said, Mason, you did such a great job for us last year. He said, but I need to turn it down a little bit this year. I can't afford to get to kick out no games this year. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. He told me, you know, because the, the refs, the refs, Literally, you could warn me before the game, especially at Cajun Field. Come, we would be stretching. They'd be like, all right, Mason, we wanting you right now. We're not having that shit tonight. Just like that. <laughs> We're not having that shit tonight. You know, so I, I, I knew that he, he depended on me. I had made a man for myself. And the motto just became, hey, man, this is my last year. I'm not holding nothing back. You know, I'm going to do all I can. I, I remember Coach Darby putting me and Big Jackson on the side again, my roommate. And he told us, he said, look, because of your size, you guys got to be either perfect or damn near perfect to get us out to the NFL. I'm like, cool. And I tell people to this day, I can honestly say I was damn near perfect. So that's that story right there. So um, so during the summer, you know, of course, leading up to, and I can tell the whole story, but leading up to the A&M game, you know, we excited. We have a lot of people coming back. You, know, you got Stokely and going into his second year, maybe not his third year. Of course, you got the great big. You know, we got Donald Resaw, you got Kenny and Cotton, rest in peace. You know, offense, we got some studs on the offensive line. You know, in defense, you know, we, we yelling, we, we crazy. You know, you got me leading them, the, the smartest thing out there, so we all crazy. And we went out that night, one night, one Saturday night during the summer, and we ran into, ran, we ran into Brandon Mitchell, who is from the, the Broad Ridge area, who played at Texas A&M. We had a couple of his teammates. You know, and I'm not going to tell the whole story, but I just remember, you know, I met him and Pat Williams. I, I, I played against Pat when I was in Virginia College. I played against him in the bowl game in Texas. And so well, it was it was a good, fun conversation. But I, just, I remember telling him, man, we're going to kick y'all ass when y'all come to Cajun Field. You know, and the rest is history. <laughs> let's, talk, let's talk about that game. Uh, record crowd, goalposts famously were torn down and taken – out of the, uh, you know, out of the stadium, down the road, uh, your defense that you were a part of, Dame, eight turnovers, and you guys win it twenty nine to twenty two. You come up big in that game, especially late. You know, you, I know you've told me this story before, but mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to know about the mindset going into the game because I already know that, and, and people know that that you guys felt like you could compete with anyone, and you had a swag right. about you that season. But what did it feel like? Afterwards, when the horn sounded and the scoreboard went to zero, and you guys had knocked off Texas A&M, what was going through your mind, brother, during those moments? You know, what's so funny, RPG. I just watched the video a couple weeks ago, and it just reminded me of how exhausted I was. I was so exhausted, and I remember when I caught the last interception that I couldn't get off the field. You know, just like now, you know, and I thought about this watching it. You know, when coaches always say. Leave it all on the field. And people think that's just a saying. Leave it all on the field. When you leave it on the field, you, you know, you, you have no regrets. So I said, man, that must be how leaving it all on the field feel because I couldn't get off the field. They tried to carry me off the field, and I, I couldn't even be carried. So I just remember when, when – that's why I always clown Jake with his old crazy self. You know, remember, Jake had so, so, supposedly had some bad cramp, but as soon as he took the, the knee down, the, the kneel down with the knee – now he's running the length of the field. You <laughs> 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 know, crazy stuff. You know, so but then you could see me somewhere in the crowd, you know, doing a video on the on the on the T V copy where I was just I was stretched out on my back because I was just so exhausted. You know, and I didn't give up the honestly, I didn't give up the field to they had to clear the field. I had to do interviews, of course I had to find my my family. I got bum worse by the crowd. By the time I actually got to the locker room, everybody was already gone. And I just remember the coaches coming in there who was still there. They came in, you know, congratulated me, told me how much of a great job. Then I still had to do 
uh, press interviews because you know I made the the, the, the national pair of the week that that, that time. So it, it was just a an exhilarating feeling, man. And then it got taken to a whole other level when I finally did get out of the locker room. And, you know, every home game there's a, a dance on campus. So to get mired by your, your your student body, man, you know, people you see every day, and all of a sudden they look at you in a whole different light. You know, it was just it was just a, a total total overall experience, especially to have my roommate. You know, I had two interceptions. Britt had one. Britt, you know, I, I caused two fumbles. Britt recovered one of the fumbles. You know, man. So, and then it always brings tears to my eyes when when I hear Coach Stokely always, as he always did that year. He would say, "There's no better in the country than Britt Jackson and Damon Mason." You know what I'm saying? So that's that was that was a lot of love that he showed us that year, man. And and, the, and we just played our heart out. You know, it, it was a great feeling, and that's why we would never forget it. Damon, your your career comes to an end with the Raging Cajuns. You received accolades. Uh, you received recognition. Um, across the board, and you had some great moments, but you, you go undrafted, and you're a little undersized by the quote-unquote NFL standards. But you get an opportunity, brother, to play professional football in the Arena League where you would go on to play for 13 years. You wrapped up your career having won the Arena League Bowl twice, and you are still the career leader in tackles with 1,009 Right. What was your mindset going into that? You know, you get the opportunity to play pro ball, but I'd be willing to bet you, knowing you as well as I do, that you had a big old chip on your shoulder to prove people wrong, that you could, in fact, play professional football. <laughs> and not only that, but that you could play it at a high level. Well, the, the chip was there, but it had to, it had to manifest itself. And what I, mean that, what I mean by that was, again, slow to speak, quick to watch, listen, and learn. Even though I was just, quote-unquote, a great Damon Mason, I'm saying that, you know, who had a great college career, but you're on a different level. I learned quickly that I cannot be as wild as I was on a professional level, especially in this game where they're passing 99.9% of the time because I'm going to pass out. I have to I have to learn how to conserve my energy, which is the exact opposite of what I did in college. You know, so, but then as a rookie, you know, I can't think of no better no, no better of a person to, to lead me than Jay Gruden because he was a young a young coach who was a former player like Tim Rebo was for me uh, in high school. You know, and he just found a way every game, you know, he taught them every game, every game. And I'm talking about my rookie year, just reminded me how good I was, how good I was, and you better than these guys. He just, you know, he, for some reason he felt that he just wanted to motivate me, and he, and he did. But it was not until roughly the championship game as a rookie, you know, that I, I had a breakthrough and caught an interception, a pick six for a touchdown, you know, and, and that was that, you know. But then you go into the off season. And he brought he brought me in for my uh, he brought me in for my contract and he asked me he said well damn do you know how how this works I said no nah, not really I said this is my first and only professional job experience so he said well I'm, I'm gonna put you in the I'm gonna put you in the, in the category of some of the best players in the league I said all right cool and so he started going over numbers and RP three you know me you know, I ain't gonna lie to you I stopped him I said Jay I tell you what man I said you pay me what you think I'm worth. And whatever you give me, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna consider it a blessing because six months ago I was working three jobs. Now God used you to give me opportunity that the NFL never did. So whatever I get, man, is a blessing. But if you know in your heart that you messed over me, God's gonna deal with you in his own way and own time, and I'm still gonna get mine. That's how I did my contract. And then I asked him, I said, well, who who are two of the who 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 are two of the best players you consider the best in the league? He gave me two names. There were two guys who he played with who played at Tampa who we had just beat. He said Tracy Perkins and Johnny Harris. I said, well, give me film on them. And what I did was I studied film on them two for the entire summer of 1998, particularly more on Tracy Perkins. And by the time we came back for the 99 season, I had to change my entire game. And Jay Gruden said this here. My first number was 28. This is what Jay Gruden said. He said, Mason, you had such a great career in college. He said, I want you to wear number nine. Wow. That's what he told me. He said, I want you to wear number nine. So in 1999, I got my number nine back. My game had to change. And then it came full circle when, you know, in the NFL, you know, professional level, you know, I'm out there trying to be cute, not wearing no thigh pads, no knee pads. You know, you know how, they, how they do it. And <laughs> and we had a guy by the name of Kenny McIntyre. They called him the glove. He was, he was not Rick Jackson on the professional level. 
but he making interceptions left and right. So he making a name for himself. So I'm like, you know, again, that ego, hey, man, I don't like nobody calling somebody else's name and not calling my name at all. And so I said, you know, I got to find a way to get my name called. Damn, this. Go back to basics. Like I always teach people, sometimes you got to go back to basics. So going back to basics was what? I went and got my knee pads. Of course, I cut them up like I did in college. Got my knee pads. Got my thigh pads. Got my elbow pads put back on my elbow. Went and got my mouth going, mouthpiece like I did in college. And Mason, I had to unleash Mason. I may not make all the interceptions, but damn it, I can make every tackle. And if I can't make a tackle, I'm going to hit somebody. And so I went back to doing what I did best. Just flying around, trying to hit. So I told Kenny McIntyre, I said, look, bro, you, you don't want to hit? I don't mind hitting. You just hold him up and move. So when I'm coming, I'm not stopping. <laughs> <laughs> Dame, and that's, for, and that's for you, man, for you, you know, being uh, a little undersized by the NFL standards, how much pride do you still take today, brother, all these years later, that you, Damon Mason, from Destrehan High School, USL, undersized, didn't get a shot in the NFL, remains the Arena League all-time leader in tackles as a defensive back, my man. How much pride do you still take in that? Because that's a great honor and distinction to have. Right. Uh, I would take it that you, you still have that as a badge of honor for you being able to play 13 years as a professional player. I do. I take a, I take a lot of humble pride with it. For a simple fact, to let people know that, you know what, look at my size, and if I can do it, you can do it. And never let no one tell you what you can and cannot do. If you're willing to put forth the effort, the hard work, the dedication, you know, you can do anything. And I, and like I told you once before on a different show, I watched film in college, but I learned how to break down film on a professional level. I was a good football player in I was a good football player in high school. I was an even better football player in college. But I learned the art. See what I say? I learned the art of my position as a professional. You know what I'm saying? And I, I kept developing myself. You know, and for my side, you know, at one time they they, they frowned upon saying, "Man, Mason, Mason making all the tackles. Well, he's getting beat, getting beat." And somebody somebody corrected them and said, "Now, nah, if you look at it, Mason making all the tackles that his teammates are missing. He's making the tackles that other guys are not making. He's not only making the tackles when his man catches the ball; he's making the tackles when somebody else man catches the ball. He's making the tackles on special teams." You know, and one of the, and one of the biggest prizes I take is knowing that, that I changed the game in different phases. And one the only one I would share with you is to feel when you know, because reading football is a true one on one, right? Eight on eight, one on one. They will leave one guy unblocked to double team Mason. You're like, you can't block Mason with just one person. So that was that was something totally different. You gotta block, you gotta block Mason with two people. Man, that's the ultimate respect, man. That's the ultimate compliment to you and your game. Right, so I, I saw a lot. Of, I saw a lot of respect like that from the coaches, man. Even during the course of a game, you playing against coaches, coaches look at you like and shake his head, and he's fucking his teammates. Well, goddamn it, y'all can't stop me. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, I gotta ask you, man. You, you were so good at tackling, uh, whether it was at college and then definitely in arena league. When you see cats today playing <laughs> in the secondary. I see a lot of poor technique when it comes to tackling, brother. Is it just not being taught or are guys just a little hesitant to lay down that shoulder and tackle someone these days? Because I see a lot of poor tackling out there at the high school level, collegiate, and the NFL, Damon. I would honestly say both. I, and I'm, I'm serious. Some coaches that I watch and listen to this, it is what it is. I would say both because – of course, everybody can't be Daniel Mason as a player, and everybody cannot be a running lot, so I think that's who I idolize and watch, uh, Lawrence Taylor growing up. You know, and everybody don't coach like Mason. I coach the way that I play. So I look at your strengths and your weaknesses, and I'm going to speak more from a coach's perspective because I coach kids. You know, I got to say, I'm going to say, just like this here, like I always tell everybody, out of the best I ever had in high school, my secondary as a unit had 18 interceptions as a unit in high school. And out of all the kids that I coached, and I had some great kids, my best story I love to tell, RP3, is check this out. I had a, I had a white kid. Listen now, I had a little, little five-eight white kid, red hair with freckles, <laughs> soaking wet. I don't know how much he was. He, he, by the time I got done with him, he was the starting receiver, the starting punter, my starting punt returner, and my starting corner. He'll say my starting corner. 
he was not going to crack an eight, but I taught him how to tackle. I said, you know what? If you're going full speed, you're going to make something move. It's when you go half-ass, it's when you get yourself hurt. Yep. So my point, so my point is, I teach the art. I look at your strengths, and I'm going to make your strengths, I try to make your strengths better. I look at your weaknesses, and we're gonna, I'm going to try to work around that. You know what I'm saying? I'm not a coach who say, look, I expect you to go out here and do this, 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 or that, or the other, and I don't teach you how to do this, that, or the other. Too many coaches tell, even at the high school level, they tell kids what they want to see done, but they don't teach them. On the collegiate level, they tell these players what they want to get done, but they don't teach them. Now, Coach Daugherty didn't teach me how to tackle. You know what I did? I watched. I'm real with you. That freshman year, I came to, I came to, I came to uh, USL in my first scrimmage with the high school breaking down tackling. And, and Derek Mayweather, one of my freshman teammates, almost broke my neck. I said, oh, hell no. I said, hold up, hold up, hold up. Let me, let me, let me sit back and watch how these, how these seasoned vets like Orlando Thomas, Charles Poole, uh, 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 man, Charles Poole, uh, Kedrick Gassaway, uh, so many, I, I want to name them. So I'm, anyway, I'm watching these guys, how they tackle, and everything was a head shot or to the chest. <laughs> <laughs> they, were trying, they were trying to take somebody's head off. I said, okay. I said, that's what they're doing? Okay. And so the very next scrimmage, the very next scrimmage, I'll, you know, that's when USL, before it became the Blitz package, we was in the cover, too. So I'm at cornerback still, my freshman year. They threw uh, a flat to a tight end in the flats, who was a converted lineman. I ear-holed him, and I think I told you that story, in uh, Orlando Thomas, as we call Crowley High, he just ran in the field. You know how he crazy is. Oh, hell yeah, Little Mason, that's the hell I'm talking about. Shit, boom, smacked him inside my head, and that's when Little Mason was born. <laughs> Everything was like, Little Mason ain't scared to hit nobody. I love it, man. So, I, I, love it. I, I just watched. <laughs> hey, Damon, let, let, we'll wrap it up with this, my man. Uh, appreciate mm-hmm. your time, as always. So I, I know you're still very connected to the program. You were inducted into the uh, UL Athletics Hall of Fame a few years ago. Your, your number nine has been retired. It's up on the wall. You're one of the great Raging Cajun legends. What does the program still mean to you all these years after you stopped playing for them? But what, is, what does it mean for you to be a Raging Cajun, brother? Man, you know, I, first of all, I, I love it. You know, I love it. And when I go there, I get chills, you know, for, for so many different reasons, the ups, the downs, the, the roadblocks, the stuntman blocks, and to see the growth of the program, you know. It's like, it's, it's like I don't say it that way, but it's like life and death. You know, when you go there, it's like you're – those four five years flash before your eyes, you know, and then and but then to see how it has been grown, you know, the indoor facility, they have the, you know, the old, you know, I guess they call it the museum now. I will lock the outfield house because they got this big old thing now, <laughs> and, I, and I and I tell people, I said, man, if we had this here, shit, I would have stayed in the dorm. I would have slept here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would never went back to the dorm. <laughs> You know, so just to see the growth of it, man, and even when you're talking, you know, that's one of the things I hate about going to any kind of sporting game. You know, I never had to go and park and pay the park and walk a mile, you know, and so you walk there and you see how, how high class it is now, how big it is now, like, man. You know, so it's good, to, it's good to get the love for people who recognize you, and you're like, wow, because even when I was playing, people didn't recognize me. You know, so when you walk up there now, you tell people your name, certain people they recognize you and whatnot. And, and so it's just good to see the, the growth of it. And the players, man, they're so huge. And, you, you know, they look, they look at you like out of amazement. And I'm, I'm looking up at them like, God damn. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I would definitely been in the first round. <laughs> you know, so, and of course, Coach Napier, man, he, he he's he's very laid back. He's a great coach. He's a great mover. And I've always said that, you know, he reminds me of a Jay Gross, of a, of a Tim Rebo. You know, just looking at, I, you know, I, just looking at his eyes, and and I, I feel that, you know, that whatever he has with him is special, man. That whatever he would do, whatever he say, I would do to the best of my ability and ability. So that's why I say, man, I, I'm not surprised that these guys, if they just listen to him, man, he'll lead them to the promised land. You know, and and the proof is on the wall. You know, so the the program is a lot. It means a lot. You know, as I told him during my uh, my induction to the Hall of Fame, you know, they asked the same question. I was like, you know what? What does it mean to you? And being a raised kid to me is it, it gave me an opportunity. You know, I know of course Napier they talk about something build build your own legacy. Well, you know, I was given an opportunity to build that legacy. You know, and the opportunity didn't come easily. 
you know, it, it, you know, and life don't come easy. So, for me, being a resident kid, going to prepare prepare me for life. It's going to prepare these young men for life because you will experience a lot of ups and downs on the field, off the field, in the classroom, in the, in the community. You know, and football won't last forever. But as long as you're alive, you have to continue to make choices and how you how you react to the choices and things you do out and about, and how seriously you take it is going to prepare you for success or failure, regardless of if you're playing football or not. So I've learned a lot, man. I've learned a lot from the coaches I had, from the players who I played with, the players who have passed on, and it was crazy. But that is a lot of a lot of us didn't talk. You know, we had clicks within a click. You know, and I speak more to some of these guys now through social media than I did when we were teammates. You know, but that's just, that's just the way bands go. That's the way life is, man. But one thing you can never take away from us, and one thing that we all had in common was that we remember each other on that football field, and we knew that once we put the helmet on, man, that, you know, win, lose, or draw, we was going to leave it all on the football field. And that's what being a regular kid has always been for me. Dame, I appreciate you sharing your memories, man, going down uh, – Going back and, and looking at your career, uh, the ups and the downs, and there was far more ups than there were downs, brother. And you keep being safe out there and keep doing your thing over there in uh, Atlanta, my man. And I can't wait for us to talk again, brother. Thank you so much for your time. Man, my pleasure, RP3. And always thank you, man, for, for thinking about me. <laughs> Appreciate you, man. You too, brother. That's Damon Mason, USL. Raging Cajun legend. The number nine is retired. It's up on the big wall there at Cajun Field with the others like Ike Taylor, Charles Peanut Tillman, Jake DeLone, Brandon Stokely, and Brian Mitchell. And of course, Orlando Thomas, who had a huge impact on Damon's life and career there with the Raging Cajuns. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Rap Game Podcast. Appreciate you checking it out. We'll have another one up next week. And until that time, y'all be safe out there and be kind to one another. I'm Raymond Parsa III, better known as RP3. This has been the Rap Game Podcast. Until next time, I'm out.